Good evening, good evening, good evening, and welcome to another KG Fifth Ward Wildcat and Doc podcast. Coming to you kind of late. Uh, different things coming to schedules. You got to make adjustments on the fly. So uh, we're going to make it do what we do and really get into our hashtag of sports and more with this podcast. Gentlemen, how are you? Doing okay. Uh, you know, it's Sunday. We all rested today and <laughs> we're still wondering what we saw today. <laughs> At least I am. That's for sure. But other than that, I'm doing all right. I'm Doc? doing all right. I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Just uh, living through all the different uh, frameworks of sports that we got going on. It's an excellent time to be a professor of sports in the class <laughs> in many different ways. <laughs> and you are a professor where? I'm a professor at Texas Southern University. Uh, the data, the data doctor. Sport management. Yeah, a lot of people call me the data doctor. That's the way I like to look at sports, uh, not just from an entertainment perspective, but more from a business perspective and particularly looking at the data so it tells you a in-depth story. All right, let's work backwards because I think, in all honesty, the national story has petered out already after eight days. So we're going to talk basketball and the and the um, mess that dropped Tuesday morning. So yeah, morning here Central Time because the um, press conference by the United States Federal Court, Southern District of New York, was around eleven o'clock Houston time, maybe noon Eastern, whatever, when it was announced about the arrest of four college basketball assistant coaches and six other staffers, financial advisors, people associated with basketball uh, charges, including bribery, bribery, money laundering, wire fraud, et cetera, impacting the assistant coaches were, let's see, what were they, Wildcat, Auburn, USC, Oklahoma State. Uh, State, um, I'm trying to remember. Uh, and Arizona, so yeah, yeah. Arizona, yeah. Southern Cal. Let me say Southern Cal because some folks on the East Coast claim USC, oh, yeah. also South Carolina. So Southern Cal, Arizona, Oklahoma State, and Auburn money exchanging hands. Basically, the ultimate thing is to get money to go to the assistant coach to get high school players who, I guess, really, honestly, deemed as NBA legit NBA prospects to get them to an Adidas Nike shoe company school and then be their one and done once they get to the NBA, then they'll be connected with the financial advisor who helped distribute the money and would join with that financial advisor throughout their NBA career. That way that person could continue getting money out of that player for a long, long time. So from if it started in high school, College, NBA, get the hooks in that player young and keep the hooks in that player for years and years to come. How big is this? Is it, uh, is it illegal? It depends on how you look at it. What's illegal to some may be okay daily business to others. Because this is FBI involved. The NCAA does not have any 
jurisdiction. Well, that's true. But let's remember this. By the FBI stepping in, and C2A can just sit back and wait and says, okay, we'll decide when it's all over with how many scholarships we're going to take away. So that's basically what they did with the Pittsburgh situation. They just sat back. I mean, they did some investigation, but at the end of the day, that's basically all they did was like, you know, the school made their decisions, the the lawyers made theirs, the uh, Department of Justice made their decisions, and NC2A just says, okay, there's not enough scholarships you're going to pull away. Because in the eyes of the FBI attorneys, well, the investigating attorneys, the prosecutors, they have termed it as the schools are the victims. The schools have been harmed because it impacts their, their, the money they receive from the federal government. So the players are not the victims. The schools are the victims. And, of course, that statement alone has rubbed a lot of folks the wrong way. Well, that's the current environment we're in where we look at institutions as individuals, we've seen that from the legal side, Supreme Court, with some decisions that come across over the last year about the ability of a uh, corporation to be have legal standing as if they're humans. Uh, we've seen it, uh, obviously, from the legislative side of the governmental uh, framing, uh, and ultimately, we've certainly seen it from the presidential uh, wing now in this. So a lot of ways, this gets to the point that's probably eating at me a little more than anything. Uh, that is a deeper and hidden story about most people getting, you know, stunned in a lot of ways because of schools in there. Those that have followed basketball, football, and probably some other sports in terms of baseball to some degree, have always heard of these stories about uh, players getting paid or getting some restitution for them or their family, whether it's uh, actual cars or cash. Obviously, there's some different frameworks in terms of uh, stipends, so we got to be careful of using that because now that is legal. So it's intriguing there. But to me, there seems to be some absurdity uh, in the fact that the interests from the feds, if you would, uh, and going into basketball. Now, the first level of this, that has been lost is that all the way that even been able to get into this information is somebody uh, had stolen and at a very high level in terms of million dollar fraud in terms of the business. So he made a deal and said, Hey, I can point you in a different direction where some other things are going on that are not quote unquote right. Yeah. His name is Marty Blazer, financial advisor. Yes. Yes. The, um, who obviously is a thief at the highest level, um, but that gets lost in all this because, again, we focus on the institutions and the NCA. But if you go back a little while, you remember that the NCA and the NBA tried to create this uh, iHoops uh, youth league and it didn't really get any momentum, as they said that uh, amateurism, AAU is the term that they wanted, college was out of control, so in a lot of ways, this is a battle between who has control of, for the most part, these players. Uh, is it the endorsement companies, the basketball companies, which the NCAA and the NBA or NFL, even if you get it to that level, are obviously 
partners and working together, but who gets the lion's share of the money was what really intrigued me. And so as you just pointed out, even when they come out of this, it's not about the player uh, that are being hurt or the families that are getting disadvantaged of. It's these institutions, these these schools, right? And therefore, their coaches and all the people that are involved in their attached organizations would be the NCA that are having problems. So that's my frustration about just seeing how people can maneuver these stories in such a way that they get the ears of the general population to look at these things nervously in a, a way where, to me, it takes the wrong, the way, the wrong focus. So that's why I'm glad we get a chance to kind of voice this on this podcast and at least have people think about this maybe slightly different uh, and, and ask those tough questions. Why is the U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York disinterested in investigating what's going on in basketball? In a lot of ways that many people say have been going on for years. Uh, and so, why isn't the NCA able to do more about this? And how much is this the NCA pushing this issue? Because they feel they no longer have control and are able to do what they would like to do in regards to this. And if a couple of coaches get caught up in it, Rick Pitino, so be it. We have to save the overall industry in terms of where we continue to go with. And I think it's a little bit, it's, it's both. Um, <laughs> Well, let me let me start with this. First of all, we all know the NCAA doesn't have the the bodies and all to to do investigations day in and day out when the incident, when the uh, FBI, the Department of Justice does. Well, that's, but, that's, but, see, but that's by choice. That, but that's by choice, right? But now, well, the reason I make this statement, let me jump in here for you because I want to make this very clear: is they do investigations all the time. So they claim on one side that they can do the investigation. Now they have put that out there on what you're saying, which is crazy that they don't have the time to do any of it. Well, I didn't they, say they didn't they have the time. I just said they didn't have the body. Well, that's, well, that's what I'm saying. They don't have the bodies or whatever, but that's what I'm saying. That's what they use uh, when it's convenient. But when they go after an institution, uh, then they later say they don't have subpoena power, but then they also make sure that people don't have restitutions uh, to fight back any of this. So it's like they want all and everything. They want all the power there to say whatever's going on and control in, in a certain way that what they say, what they say goes and that nobody has any restitution against that. But then when things don't go their way, then they say, oh, well, we don't have enough power. So I look at that with a slanted eye. I mean, I can't just take everything they say when I see so much of it just not ringing true to me. Well, I'm looking at it from a person that was involved in grassroots for about 20 years. And to a certain extent still is today, just not as much as, as much as I, I was as far as being a director, being a coach, being a summer league traveler, uh, putting teams together and then and, Traveling around the state and around the nation. So when I look, look at what I saw and all what transpired this week, all it boiled down to was somebody couldn't. Well, 
greed got in the way, and somebody just couldn't keep their hands out of the out of the pot, out of the uh, kitchen. Had to put their hands in the oven and get them heated. And at some point, whether it be a coach, a advisor, a runner, uh, intermediate person, made a decision that wasn't in the best interest of the kid or that person. The other, the, the biggest thing that I have with what transpired or what's going on is the fact that some of these guys put, give, put legal documents in front of a parent and for whatever reason, whether financial, uh, word of mouth, uh, you hearing the spill going through, going through your brain by somebody sitting down and talking to you and you sign away the rights of your child. You give up parental authority. Kid has moved out, headed across country to a school that's no bigger than probably my house. You know, maybe five or six, about 10, two buildings, classroom, dormitories, and that's it. You know, it's, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm saying I don't want to get too lost into these stories that we hear all the time and repeat it, because those actually are true. But I want us to focus on what took place in this case. How is that working from a overall picture, and what do we see taking place here? Not just continuing to to, to tell these these stories, because this is a case where you have. Obviously, remember, this is a, a new judge that was appointed by the current president uh, that has moved in this direction in regards to what's going on. Why is that? What is the purpose of this? Uh, th- those are the type of questions that I think are more important to, to look into these, the, these particular questions as if just this, that we take a blindness to just that everybody is acting on good faith and doing what needs to be done. And it just doesn't add up to me. When you look at all these particular frames of, you know, the predecessor of the, of this current, uh, federal guy. Doc, all it boiled down to was somebody made a phone call. Somebody made a phone call or they wrote past the letter. Because when they, when they make an investigation, Somebody had oh, to make a I, phone I, I understand, but what are you saying they made a phone call? I mean, everybody understands wiretapping and those kind of things. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm, talking about, you I, I'm talking about a direct phone call to somebody in the Department of Justice. I mean, you got somebody in a direct it. phone call. Who? What do you mean? Because the, when, when, that's just it. You don't have to make a... But when identify, ambiguous. What do you mean somebody made a phone call? That's somebody had to have made a phone call or made a notice to somebody. Somebody made a phone call to who? It doesn't matter who because it, what it boils down to is when, when, when investigation starts. I'm just saying somebody made a phone call and it don't matter who they talk to. True. Because that, that's happened. Doc, that, we hadn't told Doc, that, that happened. That happened. That happened. What that happened? happened. You just somebody make a, a get upset because they didn't get what they wanted or they didn't wasn't able to convince a kid or a coach to cross over and roll with them. Somebody no, no, no. Uh, that's what I'm saying. I'm trying to get past that. 
We've said that that happens, and we've said that it happens quite a bit, and it's happening all the time. Again, we talk about the stories. I'm not worried about repeating stories that either we personally know or have heard about. I'm, I'm really more interested in what is particularly going on in this case uh, in terms of who picked up the case. How is this going at the attorney office? How does it work? Who decided that? This is a offense they want to charge. Who decided that we're going to make this into this public framing of what is going on? To me, that's so basically what you're looking for. The, 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 the answer to what you're looking for is whether the decision was made either on the NC2A side or whether the Department of Justice side. And you want to know whether a single person, either in one of those two entities, made a decision and says, this is the group. This is the shoe company. This is who we targeting. This is what we want to find out. We won't know that until down the road when uh, indictments or whatever. Once they uh, get a situation, because these guys now, they have made bar. Right. You know, they have been, and let me see, see, one clear why I'm going here. Because uh, the current person that's in there is Kim. The predecessor, as you know, was actually dismissed by the president when he was starting to look into the president's case uh, of what we know was going on in a lot of cases. Is this, again, this misdirection uh, that we see continuing to feed us this information, or is this truly uh, something that that is taking place in terms of going into what we know is going on in college hoops? And will it stop? Will this be something that... Now we'll see the Fed looking into this every time, or is this just a once uh, in a while boogeyman type? It would depend on. It would depend on as far as looking across the board to another shoe company, another situation. It would depend on what they find in this particular case and that's ongoing. Okay, if they if they make a if they make a connection or they see a connection, they'll open ended and just start going across the board. Because right now, the only two, if I'm not mistaken, is just Nike. Uh, well, let's, let's take that back. It's Under Armour, Nike, Adidas. Is anybody else out there, Chris, that's sportswear? Because uh, Russell is not big enough to, not, doesn't have a big enough foothold on grassroots on the college level to, to, to make a dent. But those other three, yeah. Well, Somebody, let, me, let me interject. This evening, okay. the Wall Street Journal has posted an article uh, with good background information, more details about Marty Blazer and how this investigation began. Mr. Blazer was being investigated by the uh, chief dealings with, via the Securities and Exchange Commission. His firm was under investigation in order to reduce his penalties, his time in, in the pen, he told the investigators that he had uh, some, had bribed some college coaches to steer players to him because he isn't, was a financial advisor. And so he began to sing in hopes of getting his time reduced. So those investigators began looking into what he was saying to see if his his uh, stories added up. 
so they did some investigation. They uh, looked into it and said there was some legitimacy in it. So he is the cooperating witness who they bugged and used um, as the the mole. So they recorded the conversations with him while he was talking to college coaches, other assistant coaches, runners, et cetera, et cetera. So he is the start of the impetus for this investigation from the federal level. So it's in time and time again in this article by Wall Street Journal, the authors of it say numerous times that the lawyers for Coach X, lawyers for Coach Y, lawyers for Mr. Z declined comments for this article. That's mentioned at least eight times in this article that folks declined comment on the record with the Wall Street Journal. So Marty Blazer is already, he already started singing to try to get time reduced for him. So, so those investigation, that investigation led to these other assistant coaches, uh, Chuck Person, we know the head of Adidas development, um, the guy used to work code, used to work at Nike and Adidas. He worked at both. So those two gentlemen, as one person, one national writer put it, those two guys know where the, the bodies are buried in both shoe apparel companies. So if they decide to sing like, like a canary, who knows what would come down if other coaches got their hand dirty, or, you know, had their hand out looking for money. So that's where it's going to come down to. And I've also, so I think I saw Saturday that one of the four assistant coaches has already said he ain't saying nothing. He's not going to squeal, period. So if y'all got stuff on me, put it on me. Good luck proving it. Other than that, he isn't saying jack. So if he doesn't turn, that's one down. Then you got the other people look at to see if they'll turn. Out of the 10, we'll see who, who talks. If all of them don't talk, this won't go very far. Because this, depending on the court, depending on the judge who takes the case, the judge may look at this and and based on what the prosecution tries to prove, this is no case. So what you're, what you're trying to say is these advisors, right. these money men to try to spend, try to spend money on a high school level. It's not, it's not their fault. The NCA has amateurism. Amateurism is a sham. So that's the NCA's fault. So if you, y'all have something else to prove all this stuff, you're wasting my time. So exactly. if, I'm, if I go to the parent and say, I want to give you some money for your child to go to school here, if your child agrees to sign with me uh, once he goes pro, parent says, okay. If, he's in high, if, if it's between the parent and the advisor and the kid's in high school and the advisor says, Mr. Smith, Mr. Mr. Smith, I believe in your kid. I believe your kid has a bright future. I believe he's had a legitimate shot to be an NBA first-round draft pick. I'm willing to, to give you some money. I'm willing to invest in your son right now. He's a junior in high school with the, under the premise that once he turns pro, 
he will sign with me, and then I will advise. I'll be his advisor, financial advisor, when he's a pro and manage his, his finances. If parents says, "Okay, what's wrong with that?" If that is if that is the crux of this whole discussion, what's wrong with that? At the end of the day, two things. One, you're right. There's nothing wrong with that. Parents make the decision, roll with it, pick it up, and as I say, either wait for that rent or for that uh, that great day, or it, go to, go the other route. Take your money now, and then squeeze that down the road. Tell out the talk, uh, talk to the uh, uh, Department of Justice or the NC2A, and says, "Hey, I want to change out. And if you all don't let me out, I'm going to just use the NC2A or the NBA as a uh, route to crush your business." Some folks that some uh, third person advisor or whatever, he can either say. I'll run your career, which a lot of them do, or I'll take my chance. And let's not even go that deep into it. These shoe apparel, these apparel companies, already. Well, they got a list now. All, no, no. Already spend money for the grassroots programs and or the high school programs to furnish those teams with warm-up gear, basketballs, equipment, etc. So on that basic level right there, they have they have influence on the local team. So even in, in, even in its simplest form, if high school X is getting gear from one of those major apparel companies, the kids wear their gear every day throughout their high school careers, if they say, hey, I like this, I'm going to continue this, I'm going to pick my college based on this gear that I've been wearing in high school. So my recruiting battle is going to come down to whoever, whichever schools have this same apparel. So that will just knock out the other two competitors right there. So if you're not Adidas, don't even bother coming to me because I'm going to an Adidas school just like I did in high school. So if the kid does that, they already won right there. That's not illegal, is it? Nope. No. It's called capitalism. Okay. Exactly. And so there's no difference from these sports organizations and clothing lines, apparel companies, I should say, when they do it at the professional level, they do it at the college level, they do it at high schools. Now you're talking about doing it with uh, these youth league organizations, uh, sporting programs, basketball, football, numerous other sports. And I haven't They're done... trying to get them into the apparel. But sure. the other question I also want to get in there is you talk about, and you, you went in that direction. And I continue to put this out there. Uh, what took place are these what we consider normal transactions that we've seen going on throughout the history of sports since NCAA and AAU came into existence. I mean, the month, it may have gotten bigger, but are these transactions between individuals uh, and players, family, 
schools or whatever, are these any different than has always been going on? The difference with with these folks involved is how the money was distributed. Has to be, you know. No, no I would suggest it's been the same. The it's an underground economy. Well, I, I mean, in the but sense yeah, of so paper trail. No, I mean, in no paper trail. I'm, saying I'm talking about paper trail. There's a paper trail for these folks. Yeah. If that was, that well, was that's, that's, that's what's being suggested in yes. some degrees that they have it in regards to wiretapping. Uh, but that's also because they went after them that they were able to get the wiretapping. But my bigger point that I'm trying to get to is that I want us to be careful and really be clear that this particular transaction is no different than the numerous other transactions that have taken place, not even recently, but over the history of what we want to call amateur athletics. So the focus on here, as you said, is the fact that they got it on tape, which means they went after them. So it goes still back to my question. Why did the feds decide to go after them? And that's a challenging question, and I'm asking that for my listeners to ponder. I'm not saying that you are able to give an answer to that because we really don't know. Right. So I want us to ponder the thought process of why this has even been giving this much of interest, not from us because we have to talk about it now that it's come out, but from the feds in the first place. And, and why was it announced basically days before basketball season starts from college basketball, practice for college basketball starts? Is that apparently they, well, they either had enough or they were getting ready to lose somebody. And usually when they make an when they make an announcement or they move with a rest or indictment, it's because I either you, I think you made a little nicer. I think they were smart. They purposely decided that this is a good framing of when we're gonna announce it. They've had this information, they're ready to go forward, but they decided that, hey, this is a good point to make sure we can maximize the look of us being serious about investigating what's taking place. And they openly said it. Again, go back and take their statements for what they were. They didn't go in and say that this is something we're concerned that is happening to these athletes this is, or their families. They said that this was a, about them protecting these institutions. Yeah, the institutions are the victims, yes. All right. Which leads so, me to my question. Exactly. Will, will whatever comes up about if one of these folks starts singing like a canary, gets more coaches involved, and it just casts a dark shadow over the NCAA, do you see the NCAA changing and finally moving away from the sham of amateurism and allowing players to market themselves in a free market system. Well, I would I would hope so, but I don't think that's the case. Uh, I think they're actually doing this in such a way, as I said at the beginning, so they can try to uh, levy this in a way that they can get more control, uh, which seems to be always what the NCAA is about. It's about how do we uh, control the institution and the revenues associated with it. So this is another way to gain leverage uh, if 
if they can partner in a way that the feds are pushing this, continue to push this agenda that amateurism is important. Wildcat? Hmm. Uh, I go, well, you mentioned the person's name at the beginning of the, uh, the, the statement that started all of this. That's that, that guy would be the key to all of this moving forward. Whether rightly or wrongly, he'll be in. Uh, how much he's in, he'll move to get any, as other folks involved, or the 10 people that's already been arrested, what they make it is whoever that individual make uh, is that will make a decision that okay I'm not going down by myself and there's always one there's very seldom going to be a group but there's always one that will be that, that will have a mentality of I'm not going down by myself that's what we got to wait on and that'll be when that person gets to goes before the judge statement is made. How much bail is and how much time they're looking at, and then boom. We shall see. Um, I'm curious to see how it all plays out. I laugh at the folks who who suggested that this will result in a positive because it will oh, give no, more control to the high. You know, it'll give more control to the high school coaches, as if high school coaches don't have their hand out. Some of them, you know, not all of them, but yep. some do, you know, greed is yeah. a factor in all of this. So let's not blame it all on grassroots, Like grassroots true. folks are the only ones who got the handout. That ain't true. <laughs> that, that, now, the other thing uh, that I have heard that's actually happened, because uh, some guys are uh, contacting me about it, they're in the process of redoing the uh, their, uh, grassroots coach um, certifications for the tournaments and stuff. How much that goes into making some changes, not a lot, but just some, because there's always a three-tier situation running right now. Uh, money guy, a guy that's in charge of the program, and the, and the coach himself. Usually the money guy is the one that's in, totally in charge, and the coach is just out there doing what he does. And it's, it's because most of these summer league coaches, you know, they got the background experience, but there's quite a few that just parent helping out, looking out for their particular job. And let's also toss, let me, let me toss this out there. I, I have not done research to count the number, but there are NBA players who sponsor grassroots teams. So they got, you know, at the very least, their name is part of the grassroots team name. Yep. So they may be spending some money and investing in these kids, too. I use that term investing with air quotes. And once again, it's the same scenario. If NBA player X has a grassroots team, which has ties to an apparel company, that kid starts wearing that gear from seventh, eighth grade on. And if he'd say, I like all this, I like being treated first class. What school did that, that, that MBA guy go to in college? Oh, okay. 
Well, I'm probably going to go there then, at least equivalent. Well, mission accomplished. Well, that's true. But now, a lot of the kids and parents and all have gotten a lot smarter back in the, from back in the day. And if there's a source of contention, a situation that doesn't fit well with either the kid or the parent, they're moving on to somebody else. And they're moving across the board to another shoe deal, another shoe-affiliated uh, team. It and, just happened. Right, because some of those parents have their hand out. What, mm, what can you do for sometimes, me? Sometimes, yes, but sometimes, but at, at the end right. of the day, it all, it, 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 it all boils down to... The question is, is, is that bad? See, I didn't say it was. <laughs> that's what I'm exactly. Saying. Now, I know that's, that's, what, what? That's, your, that's what your bigger point, that they're asking what's in it for me. Everybody else is saying what's in it for them, and they actually are getting something in trade for that. So that's the question is always how do we look at it, which perfectly asked question, Chris. Now, I just I want the, the kid, the young man, and I'm going to throw it out there right now, the young woman too, because let's like be all naive and yep. think this doesn't happen on the girl side. Not as big bucks, not as huge, but let's come on now. Let's not be naive. It happened on the girl side too, and girls basketball too. So yep. as, as long as the apparel, right? They sure do. I just hope that the kids have some say in this discussion, in this decision of where they want to go. Have their eyes wide open. Just be have your eyes open. As long as you know how the game is played, understand how it's played, don't let the game play you. You play the game. And you let the other folks worry about, well, how come you did that? Come on now. <laughs> Look around. I know. I see all the schools making money. How can I make money off my cousin, my older brother? I'm going to get mine. So, if kids decide to do that, it's America, right? Free enterprise. It's big yeah. business. See, it's free enterprise, but it seems to be free enterprise where only certain folks are, are allowed to reap those rewards. Take advantage of it. That's right. So, before we shift gears and go into that other discussion, Doc, how can folks find you on the internet? Yes, certainly people can find me on my social media platforms at Dr. Kenyatta Cavill. That's D-R-K-E-N-Y-A-T-T-A-C-A-V-I-L. Again, that's D-R-K-E-N-Y-A-T-T-A-C-A-V-I-L. And that's Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. You can catch me on my website page, thg-agc.com, where you can get the latest and greatest information on HBCU Sports Report, including uh, podcast location on SoundCloud, as well as our weekly radio show, Dr. Mills Inside HBC Sports Lab, every Tuesday from 530 to 7. Well, I can't. I can folks find you on, on the Internet. Facebook, TweetDeck, Twitter, at JL Woodley 1, Jerry Lee Woodley Jr., Jerry L. Woodley Jr., I'm sorry. Uh, and on YouTube, SoundCloud, Blogger, Blogspot, at AKSV DCSR, the College Sports Report. All right, let's go ahead and talk about uh, 45 and his comments. 
from what two Fridays ago now when he called players sons of bitches, the players who knelt before the anthem and and riled up his base with a shiny object to distract him from his his other problems in in politics. Um, that's what this is. That's that's what this is. This is the distraction. And yeah, he's, yeah. Uh, he one thing that uh, President get, should get credit for that certainly that he does not because people. Look at him in face value, but uh, it's without a doubt that one of the things he's is a master of is distraction. He's a con man. I'm just put it out there. He's he's a con man. He's great at what he does. He knows how he knows how to push folks' buttons. Is and he, yep, he he's done that a lot. He he relies on those folks to not do their own research to see if he's what he says is true or not. They take him at his word. Well, he said it, so it must be true. That's really what it comes down yeah. to. Because if you if you believe him and want to believe him, then whatever he says is gold. And anybody says anything contrary to him, well, you're wrong. That's what it comes down to. Because any person who truly believes in freedom of speech, freedom of expression, America's core values kneeling before or during anthem is part of that freedom of expression. Yeah. The black, you got that right. The black fist. We're going off 50 years, 50 years when Tommy Smith and John Carlos did that. And they did it for the same reason it's done. It was done last year. Injustice. Injustice. Inequality in America. We haven't changed in 50 years. A little bit. Not enough because we're still going through similar issues from 68 to now. So those folks who are, and then you got the people saying, oh, these, these professional athletes, these millionaires are ungrateful and hate the country. Those folks are just jealous. Because these athletes are getting paid for playing a kid's game, but they're being paid a great amount of money. But they're being paid a great amount of money because the market dictates it. Yep. It's not like these athletes just re- woke up one morning and said, I'm going to be a pro. I'm going to get a team pay me $30 million a year because, because I'm good, because I look good. Not because I worked hard, bust my butt from eight years old to now to excel in my craft and be the best at it in the country, in the world. Those folks don't want to acknowledge that. The haters don't want to acknowledge that. The haters just, the haters just seem to believe, oh, well, you know, and naturally, let's just toss it out there, call a spade a spade. The, the, the haters who say, say this, I'm going to stop watching the NFL, I'm going to stop watching the NBA and stick to golf and NASCAR. <laughs> what does that say to you right there? Point blank. Your first, your oh, reaction. Oh my goodness! <laughs> yep, that's it's, 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 that's it's true. That race is involved. Thank you. And because it's, remember who 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 were the only owners, the only sports entity that made a decision straight out the bat and said, "You better not." Only one sports entity, one NASCAR. Basically said, point blank, 
you better not. The home of the Confederate flag. As they say. Well, and those fans say, or probably some of the same ones who said, accusing the NFL players of disrespecting the national flag, but the Confederate flag, that's not disrespectful of the American flag? I don't think so. That's like just the basic definition of disrespect to the American flag, the Confederate flag. Y'all lost the war. Y'all lost the war. <laughs> we have to be one of the only places in the world where we choose to raise and remember the side that lost. True. They can't get it up. As part of that, part of our heritage. Mentally they won't ever mentally they won't ever give that up. Because that is all right, we understand it, but the the point that Chris has made is the fact that there needs to be more people that challenge that. For too long not enough people have people have coalesced and allowed that to take place and that's where you have a lot of the monuments out here. Uh, when you start to go look at the history of the monuments when they took, when they were uh, put up, it was always encounter to uh, people of color, particularly African Americans, making great strides. And then you find them in a lot of places where you don't even have the institution of the Southern Frame. So the fact again that you have this just and that we even get into conversation that they have as if they have the right not to give it up. Now, because I'm gonna. I'm going to ask this question, and I've, I've thrown it out there before and had a, a real argument and had to get up and leave because some folks thought I was off base or I shouldn't have gone and stepped across the fence and stepped off in the deep water. But why has there not been an outcry of an MLK high school in HISD or in this? greater Houston area. What's been the reason behind it and why nobody has fought for you? So what, so you're asking why there's not an MLK high school in Houston? Yep. I've gone to other places and there's one, especially up north, there's a lot. I mean, in pretty much all the major cities up uh, north of the mason Dixon line, there's plenty. Yeah, I think part of that when you look, particularly throughout the south, uh, you have that is because you had segregation as elite as legal in terms of uh, American apartheid and Jim Crow law uh, that naming segregated schools for African Americans has you know, had long institutional emphasis in the southern places. So you have black high schools, you know, air quotes on black, uh, but that served African Americans, and they were named after local regional, uh, maybe to some degree state, African-Americans that were influential. So when you look at the MLK framing, obviously it's not until late 60s and 70s where uh, even thought process of naming institutions after them. So if you're not creating new schools, those schools are already named. So that's part of what's going on in the South now. The other issue that you had is in the southern regions, uh, city, county, and obviously state legislators were controlled by southerners, whites, European Americans. And so you have them actually naming institutions in a lot of cases after 
Southern Confederate soldiers and generals. So this is a way, just like the monuments, that they did this in streets, if you would, in parks. So it would be a living vestiges that you know pretty much in a lot of ways what the president is saying to the athletes. Stay in your place. Understand where you are supposed to be in this society. And as long as you do that, everything will be okay. But when individuals, whether they're players or whether they're politicians, whether they're activists, anytime that they push against uh, this white supremacist framing of the nation in a lot of ways, or what now people want to call nationalist thinking, is that you get this rebuff. And so whether that's in naming the schools, naming streets, monuments, again, in terms of understanding this framing that you see coming in terms of athletes and protests, it's coming from a historical footnote. And obviously you know the history in itself, but sometimes if we're not careful and we don't go back and study that and particularly look at it from not just events that took place, but also what is the long arch and roadmap of the policies and politics that took place during this historical framing and the social issues that have continued to take place in this country, oftentimes we'll miss it uh, because we tend to want to talk about issues at a very surface level. And when I say we, I'm talking about us as a country. Mm -hmm. Obviously, there are individuals uh, that have spent their life talking about the issues on a very deep level. And so we're trying to provide maybe an intro into that, to, to take our listeners in a place that they haven't been, to look at this from a prism that they haven't quite heard. And that is to look at this on a parallel lens of what has taken place again throughout a long period of time and why these issues tend to come back. Uh, there's a book, The His Definitive History of Racism in the Country uh, by Dr. Ken Kendi, and he makes a very good historical framing of that. And he suggests, like many others have said this over the years, that any time that people of color, particularly African Americans, make major strides, that you'll have a rushback. And I believe that's what you're seeing now after President Obama was able to win that White House uh, and do it twice. That while many people saw that as forward progress and great progress in terms of that forward progress, others saw it as um, the nation going in the wrong direction and saw it as a major loss, actually. And so that group went to work, and you see uh, what has taken place after they've spent years um, to push back on uh, literally, as was stated in the campaign, to take the country back. Yep. Because the first, that, this is not the first time this, this phrase has been used in my history. Make America great again. It's always been, Doc, as you say, a subtopic that has a very true meaning, hidden or otherwise, that it's all about 
us. Not folks that look like you, me, and KG, but it's folks that look like them. And you, you're correct in saying that, and mentioning about the brush bag. I heard it as a kid, as a child growing up. You know, you can be anything in this, in this country. You can even be the president of the United States. Now, it sounded good coming from a grandparent, but growing up when I, here in the South, there was always a question. But you took it with a smile and kept moving. When it actually happened, it was a matter of, can he do this twice and be eight years sitting in that seat? And, you, and it was always a wonder. And now, as if you got a person that has no political substance whatsoever, other than he was able to hear the people, tell them what they needed to hear. No, 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 no. Tell them what they wanted to hear. Not needed no. to hear, what they wanted to hear, what they wanted to hear. They needed to hear one person. Out of those 20 people that was up on the stand, they needed to hear one person. They didn't they wanted to hear. They wanted to hear, as I framed it, in regards to where did they want the country to go after uh, what had taken place in the previous eight years. So they, yeah. I'm staying with it. Only because it was 20, well, 20 people that was, that was out there the uh, Running for office, running for the for the position for that seat when they started out, and he mowed them all down, and he stayed in touch with the folks on the street, and he said it twice during his early campaign. God, I just love the uneducated folks. <laughs> he said it twice. He said it twice. People wasn't paying attention to him. And when he changed campaign managers is when he stopped saying. But see, the uneducated and, and voter is not the not the, the group that helped him win the election. No, the un, I, no, 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 no. I, I beg to differ now. The uneducated differ. voter is his base. That's 30 percent, 30 to 33 percent. He won 40 some percent of the vote. He got votes from the educated voter. That's what put him over the top. He got votes from educated white women, put them over the top. He got votes from independents, put them over the top. He got votes from people who simply didn't want to vote Hillary Clinton, put them over the top. Some of those folks were educated. Some of those folks wanted to prefer Bernie Sanders or Jill Stein. Those, if, you, if you did not vote for Hillary Clinton and voted for Trump or anybody else, that put him over the top. It wasn't just his base. His base is still around. I didn't, I didn't, his base is, is still hooting and hollering. Oh, he's not going to ever lose them. And, he's not going to ever lose And canceling DirecTV and all that. What he's losing now is those folks who voted for him in the election and now having second thoughts because they bought into what he was selling and thought he could make a change and fix everything, and he hasn't. That's, that, those folks are the ones who are like, damn, what did I do? I really thought this man could make a difference. I thought he was a great businessman. He was Mr. The Deal Maker, Mr. Art of the Deal. I thought he could do all these things that he promised. He ain't done squat except sign executive orders to erase everything President Obama did. Legislatively, he hasn't done jack. 
But he can he can spin it. Objective. He can spin it all day long, and as long as those folks swallow it and don't think for themselves, he'll keep spinning it. But the NFL, getting back to sports, the NFL doesn't even have a rule saying making it mandatory for players to stand foot during the national anthem. It's not a rule. You don't have to do it. That's why you've had players and teams sit in the locker room while the anthem is being played. Now, remember now, this is two things. One, they just started doing this after 9-11 on a regular basis, you know, with, with showing the anthem and the flag. Uh, I'm folding the flag, the military, and the first responders and all being involved. Because now, politics sales. Now everybody has sponsorships. They got signed, and they pay the NFL take my money a year on a yearly basis. Because everybody wants to watch now. Politics sells. Before two thousand nine, the players stayed in the locker room. They didn't come out here doing the anthem, stay on the field. They're in the locker room. That was yes. incent- very important point that many people have glossed over. See, they did. You know, like these folks who supposedly are, are so patriotic and wrapped up in the flag. Forget all that stuff. They choose to ignore the initial reasons, reasons for Kaepernick's silent protest. They choose to oh, ignore yeah. the fact that it was a Green Beret, Nate Boyer, who suggested he kneel rather than sit down. Green Beret, military man. They choose to ignore that there are almost as many veterans who defend the protest as who are against it because those veterans say, I've fought for those players to express their freedom of speech. So you have people in the military, you have generals who say that they fought and lost brothers in arms during battles to give these players the right to protest. Whether they agree with it or not, they have a right to protest. But 45 has convinced his, his base and other people that it's about the flag. It ain't about the flag. It's not just in America. It's about police brutality. It gives people of color. And I've had people say, Caucasian people say, or it's not like to say, European Americans say, well, you know, police brutalize white folks too. They do. So why don't you talk about it? Why don't you speak up about it? If it's a problem, if police brutality is a problem in America, why is it only us who are speaking about it? If it happens to everybody. And yet when we do it, don't say that. Don't say that. You're not being a patriot. You're not being American. You're talking about our police now. You're talking about our military. I'm talking about injustice. Why is it? Why is injustice so difficult for people to, to agree with that? There's a problem that needs to be corrected and addressed. That's great. That's a great question, and and it's simple because the injustice doesn't affect them or their family or their community. So it's easy to overlook, and that's exactly why they tell you or make the comments that the protest, um, they understand it, but they think there's another way you protest. And I want to read this because they're not interested in the real issue. They're interested in their own personal agenda issue, which is not to feel uncomfortable. Exactly. Which not brings us back to 45 and the, the issue of him deciding to go so much at the NFL and to some degree the NBA in regards to the, the quote-unquote disinvite that 
uh, was never really out there in the first place as <laughs> the Golden Warriors or individuals yeah. on the team that suggested they were not going out in terms of Curry and Durant. So it's just amazing. But uh, one of the things that frustrated me so much about all that was the fact that you had American citizens, Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands, they were not really being focused upon. And now we're seeing some of the difficult, even more difficult challenges because that was not more of an upfront concern from the highest level in the country. Well, we're going to find out this week. That's for sure. About what? uh, As far as he gets a shot now to look and see for himself, whether he believes it and makes a dumb statement or he doesn't believe it and makes a dumb statement. Because he's gonna make some kind of dumb statement before this year, before the week is out concerning Puerto Rico, because if it doesn't suit him, we, because if it doesn't suit him, it ain't a good thing. That's the only thing I feel bad about what's what's gonna transpire this week because he's gonna say something with the uh, with the uh, the mayor of uh, San Juan. Well, well he, Governor uh, Maven, he's already tweeted about her. Right, right. Know, and, no, I'm talking about on a face-to-face the no, way no. the governor of Arizona. Well, well he's not even here. Yeah, you're, you're assuming he's going to be with her. Yeah. Yeah, she says she would be open to meeting because she's going to deal with the issues of people. But he, as far as we know, uh, if he's not able to handshake with somebody in a position that's going to celebrate what he's doing, I don't think he has an interest in really meeting yeah. anybody. He won't meet with so her. He that take place here in the Greater Houston. He dealt with the governor of the state, both Texas and Florida, but he really didn't get into uh, the particular cities that may have been you know, hit directly uh, in regards to their base. And a lot of that is because when you get into larger urban areas, you tend to have uh, Democratic leadership. So there's certainly people that are uh, may do it in a very professional manner, but they're not going to be in their lockstep like you've seen from the governor's seat that really were talking about how wonderful everything was and how much service he was doing. He's the type of individual that likes to be stroked. So if you're not going to necessarily stroke his ego, uh, he's not willing to play with you. He he wants to feel that he is doing what's right, and so you can't question him. Any. So folks that do question him, he tends to, one, as you see, attack, and he usually attacks them on Twitter, so it's not even face-to-face. Uh, but outside of that, he doesn't even communicate with them uh, in any real substantive matter. So I don't expect that to happen. But even if that's the case, I think if you're not careful, again, we get into what he likes is the fact that you're focusing on him. And in this case, uh, the focus should be on the people. So the fact that he's coming obviously is good. But the fact that it took him so long to get there is a concern uh, to some degree. Uh, but more importantly, what needs to be done is the service of the people. So a face op in itself, if it's not backed by making sure that uh, the necessary needs are met by American citizens, it doesn't matter whether he's there or not. And so I don't want us to lose focus on that. Again, he's brilliant at deceiving folks to look at the narrative in such a way that you lose the root cause of what's going on. Which, which brings me to this quote from Charles Woodson who's now with ESPN and who some people say is a sinking ship whatever <laughs> due to their left leftist leanings which is a crock but anyhow <laughs> from Charles Woodson you saw what Jerry Jones 
tried to do last week by taking a knee before the, before the national anthem and standing up during the national anthem. To me, I think it's over. I think the message has been lost. What Colin Kaepernick was kneeling for has been overshadowed. If the players really want to make a difference, start getting involved in your local elections. Yep. And that's, that's true. And that's what it comes down to. Because you want to make well, I, I, think, you I, think that's, I think that's one way. Uh, again, I think we have to be careful that we get to the point where we think we can dictate everybody's policy and their way uh, to become activists uh, in this process. Because there's many layers, and this is a continuum, and many people have many facets on how they see this problem, which means they also have many ways that how they see solving this problem. So I think in one way, certainly, is the action is getting into local politics. But I think when you have something of this magnitude, really, if you're going to solve the issue, you're going to have to solve it on multiple levels. There's not just one level that's going to solve this issue. So some of that is going to be through the, the, the natural political frame that governs this country. But then there's going to also be means that you're going to have to do it after that scope uh, uh, to do things, uh, uh, to change the framing of what we see. And then uh, the case that you're going to have, there'll be some that suggest that you have to make alliances too. So my biggest point is to understand that there are multiple levels of how to attack this issue. And if you're going to find a way to bring this focus closer to some type of closure being better beneficial to our kids and family members and friends and community people that we leave uh, in our stead is the fact that you're going to have to attack attack this on multiple fronts. Agreed. And with that, we're going to wrap it up. <clears throat> so, Doc, how can folks find you once again? Yes, they can find me on the social media platform at Dr. Kenyatta Cavill. That's D-R-K-E-N-Y-A-T-T-A-C-A-V-I-L. Again, that's D-R-K-E-N-Y-A-T-T-A-C-A-V-I-L. You can catch me live uh dash tv K-Switch dash tv Catch us streaming on our weekly show every Tuesday from 5.30 to 7 in the old historic KCH studio. If you can't catch it live, certainly understand that with busy schedules, you can catch it as a podcast, and that's streaming. I mean, as a podcast, and that's on SoundCloud at Dr. Ville's Inside the HBC Sports Lab. Wildcat? You can find me at uh, Facebook, Twitter, TweetDeck, JL Woodley 1, Jerry L. Woodley Jr., SoundCloud, YouTube, Blogger, Blogspot, AKSV, BCSR, the College Sports Report. And I'm KG of the Houston Round Bar Review. Once again, KG of the Houston Round Bar Review, VHR Review on Twitter, Houston Round Ball Review on YouTube and Instagram. Our podcasts are available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Podcast, the Directory. Google Play Music. We have a Facebook page, KG, the Fifth World Wildcat, and Doc on Facebook. So we're out there in many different ways for you to listen to us and, and communicate with us. This was this podcast focused on really two main things. Next podcast will focus on sports on the field and on the court because basketball practice has begun in the NBA and college. So we'll get back to that. 
Thank you, fellas. Thank you for your time. Game five for the WNBA as well. Yes, and I hope uh, game five was, will be more competitive than game four was from the, in the first quarter onward because tonight Minnesota just clearly was aggressive from the opening tap and did that throughout the game, dominated the boards, offense and defense, controlled tempo throughout. So game five was Wednesday night in Minnesota. We'll see if the Sparks can do what they did last year and win on the road to win a championship, or Minnesota will cut on the net in front of the home fans. Whoever wins will have their fourth WBA championship to tie them with the Houston Comets with four WNBA titles. And anybody in Houston will tell you that the best team in the history of the NBA was, is, and will always be the Houston Comets those first four years. So there we go with that. Doc, I mean, not Doc. KG, I want you to say that a lot of folks can, can grasp because it's taken this long for another team to just get to four. The first four years of, of the WNBA were dominated by the Houston Comets. Houston Comets were the WNBA dynasty. The city of Houston failed to really acknowledge that in huge numbers when the team moved from where the, their initial home, they moved, we're going to call it downtown, to that new building. It was bigger, that is crowded, ownership change, et cetera, et cetera, and, and then they disbanded. But the original, and in my opinion, only true dynasty, WME dynasty, is Houston Comets. I know it's links have accomplished these last few years and the numerous trips they've made to the WNBA Finals. I know that. Comets won four straight titles. Nobody has done that. Four in a row. Not four total, four in a row. So let's not to get that twisted. Four in a row. So He knows. He knows. So I'm just going to put that out there for discussion. And I know the overall talent level in the league is much better now than it was then. Doesn't change the fact. Houston Comets won the first four WBA championships. Period. You can't deny it. 97, 98, 99, 2000. Four in a row. Fellas, thank you very much for your time. Wildcat, hope you enjoyed that steak on Doc Tuesday. Yeah. Yes, I did. <laughs> Bruce, I had company. I'm so glad you showed up, young man. It was good. It was a good eat. It was a good eat. <laughs> I still think, though, I'm down two steaks. I just, I'm just, I'm just not sure. I'm getting old and I can't remember it well. I'm just, I just no, feel like I just got I cut it out. <laughs> cut it. You had your original two states from winning last year. So you, I paid you off. So you can't double up on something that was paid off. Yeah. It'd be different if you didn't eat your, eat your steak last year. Let's see. Yeah, very true. Because <laughs> uh, we, we, we ate last year, the same group of folks we did last year. Hey, look, 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 you know, when you go on and collect, you ain't looking at the at the menu. 
KD comes in, makes an, uh, you know, makes an order, and I'm like, what? <laughs> I don't, you I'll fade it off. I'm glad you enjoyed it. We'll worry about the rest of it. And, and I'm going to say this, Doc. The freshman class, people got to be patient. But this freshman class is going to turn benefits down the road. They just are. For TSU? Yes, sir. Okay. Well, that's good. They, they just. Let's end on the high note then. Yeah, that'll work. Good. Give folks something to look forward to. Yeah, I mean, you just gotta have patience. They they growing, they they growing, they okay. evolving, but you just gotta have patience. That's good. I but will agree with that. It's not patience. But hopefully, that's not the business we are in in the country. That right, people don't have patience. I know, man. Yeah, yeah. You just you just gotta have patience. Hopefully, those fans will start going to the games because they're not. Well, now. freshman <laughs> student body on the freshman side, they show they coming. Okay, well, that's good. Yeah, I don't. I mean, but we kind of had this discussion with Houston. I just think Houston, in regards to uh, what we've seen over the years and how people get excited and how many different options they have, is that yeah, for you get to get some significant level of fans, you got to win. Yeah, and then you I, I get it. I mean, I don't think that has what we would call relatively a young history. Um, and outside of what they did in the first decade of history, basically in the fifties. Um, they haven't had a championship-level team. They've had competitive teams over years, which is good, which kind of give you what you have as a mediocre team. And this is a city that wants to follow a winner. And so if you're just mediocre, you're going to have some major trouble. Agreed. And we're going to wrap it up yeah. with that. So uh, we'll work on our schedules for our, our next podcast. Listen, thank you for your time and your patience and understanding and your tweets and retweets, um, your questions and comments. We appreciate it. So we're going to wrap it up as I always do. In conclusion, be true, be cool, and do more.